Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I have Carol Covino on. She is the CEO of Covino Fitness, the host of the weekly podcast, Forever Fit with Carol Covino, and the author of Finding Purpose in the Pause, your guide to thriving in menopause and beyond. So I'm excited to have you on today, Carol. I've known you, I think, since 2017. I kind of looked back at old photos. Yes. Yes, it's wild. So we were both in Jill Coleman's uh, mastermind group in 2017. And then we were just in Jill and Shantae's legacy group uh, a year ago now. And so I just was like, perfect timing to connect with you and, you know, dive into menopause. So I would love for you just to kind of briefly introduce yourself and tell us a little about your own fitness um, journey through the years. Absolutely. Andrea, thank you for having me on. I've been excited for this. I was telling my husband the same thing. I said, I have known her since 2017. We go back a few years. So this is fun to connect. (laughs) Well, I really started my journey kind of late in life as far as fitness goes. I was in my 40s. I was in that perimenopausal window. It's the years that are leading up to menopause. I was a distance runner, a distance cyclist, had three young kids. I was definitely what you would call overtraining at the time. It was all about the cardio. So I would clock, oh, close to 100 miles per week to get ready for a marathon. I'd cycle. I did boot camps and spin classes, you know, ran my kids around town. And what I was finding as I approached 50 was I wasn't liking the changes in my body. And it seemed like the more I exercised, the more I ran, the more I cycled, the worse I looked. I was losing all muscle mass. I wasn't sleeping at night. I think I was sleeping maybe three hours if I was lucky. I had the hot flashes, the the night sweats, the anxiety, moodiness, all of the things, but nobody was talking about menopause or perimenopause at the time. It was very hush hush. So I would go to my doctor and he'd say, well, you're just getting older. This is, this is normal, quote unquote, normal. And I just kind of suffered through it. And then as I neared 50, I got into group exercise, being a group exercise instructor, yoga instructor, began personal training. And it was about that time that I thought I have got to change something. And as fate would have it, I actually broke a metatarsal when I was sprinting and training for a race. This caused me to have to find a different mode of training, because I couldn't do any of the cardio that I've been accustomed to, I decided, okay, I'm going to lift weights, hired a trainer, learn to lift weights. And lo and behold, I'm like, oh, I'm looking better. I'm not doing all that cardio. I'm lifting weights, eating a little bit more. I was definitely starting to look better. And that was really the beginning of my journey into becoming a health and fitness coach and specifically working with women really over over 40, 50 and beyond as they go through that journey from perimenopause into menopause. Mm. I would love to kind of dive into that mindset of the the overtraining in particular with the cardio, because I've seen that as well. And I think a lot of the times that's kind of an easy way for us, especially if you're new to the weight room. Like I am fortunate in the terms of like I was 16 and I taught myself how to lift weights. Most people don't. And, you know, at that age, uh, I kind of was training my peers once I got to college because they were intimidated to ask our strength and conditioning coach because he was just not nice. 
and just assumed we should know what to do. And so they came to me. And so, you know, they're like, okay, you know, show us how to do this lift. And so I kind of started from that, that regard. But many times when I was out of college, I started getting people closer to my age. And a lot of them were like, how do I lift weights? You know, I don't know what to do at the gym. I'm going to go to the elliptical, you know, to the treadmill because I can press a button and I can just go. And so maybe people are kind of thinking as they're hearing your story, how do I start? You know, maybe they're intimidated by that weight room or picking up those weights or, you know, again, sometimes we hear like getting bulky. What, how can you kind of um, combat some of those stories? Oh, absolutely. Such a great question. And I think this gym intimidation is very, very real. I, I know in my age group, I'm 61. And a lot of times women over, over 50, over 60, they're very intimidated to come into the weight room and all these big guys are throwing weights around and grunting and deadlifting and they feel they don't belong. And I, I know when I used to personal train years ago, the very first thing I would do is take them into these parts of the weight room and, and let them know you have every bit of a right to be here as these big bodybuilder guys. And hey, most of them are pretty nice guys. If you get to know them, I would really help them to get past that intimidation. Because what I would find is just like you said, they would head for the cardio, they would head for the treadmill or the elliptical or the bike, which nothing wrong with that, but it would be all that they would do. And as we go through menopause and we lose estrogen, we lose testosterone, we lose our muscle mass. And that is really our protection against many, many things. So I'll dive into that in a bit. But the the way that I feel women should get started is definitely hire a trainer and do your homework. Don't just walk in and let the gym assign you a trainer because they will, they, you know, you want to watch people ask questions, hire based on who's going to be good working with women and with your demographic. So obviously, you know, if somebody's 22 years old and they, they know nothing about age, they know nothing about women who are going through perimenopause, menopause might not be the best fit. So you really want to find somebody with that experience. And then I always recommend starting with resistance bands or with machines because there's less of a risk of injury. So not going straight to the dumbbell, straight to the barbell, that requires a lot of stabilization and control. And you really have to build that strength ahead of time. So I was always fond of using a combination of resistance bands and then machines that really put them in a fixed position where the risk of injury is less. Mm, I like that too with the machines. Cause then I, when I was at a gym as well, that was one that a lot of times, you know, people probably in the 60 plus crowd enjoyed having, cause they're like, that way I know I'm doing it right when you're not here. You know, I can follow the instructions on the machine and, you know, that's a great way. Cause sometimes I think as trainers, we get stuck in our own heads of like, it has to be this, you know, weights, free weights are best, you know, but really when you're breaking it down, Hey, this is going to be, what's the lowest barrier to entry for people. And, you know, starting with those machines and bands, that's a great option. So can we dive a little bit more into muscle mass and losing muscle mass? Um, and if people, maybe they've, they haven't heard that before, you know, can you share a little bit about the importance of strength training as, as we age? Oh, there's so many reasons to strength train. It should be a non-negotiable for women of all ages. And the sooner you start, the better. But when we hit 40s, our 40s, we start losing muscle mass at an accelerated rate of 1% per year 
year. And then this accelerates again in our 50s, it doubles, and then again in our 60s. And we also lose not just muscle, we lose strength at double that rate, and we lose our power at double that rate. So as high as 6% per year at a certain point. And this can lead to a danger of falls and injury. So there's that reason, but there's a little known reason for weight training that a lot of women don't realize is that this is the first place your muscles are the first place where you become insulin resistant. So we have the hormone insulin, its job is to come in after a meal and shuttle excess blood glucose sugar into the cells where it belongs. Problem is when we hit our 40s, we start to have a dysregulation of blood sugar caused really primarily by our reaction to stress. So we become very vulnerable to stress starting in our early 40s, maybe even our late 30s. That's that perimenopausal window. When we are releasing cortisol, we're in chronic stress. Cortisol is the fight or flight. It raises the blood sugar levels. And the reason for this, it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's so that we can take action. That's the fight or flight hormone. It's going to raise that blood glucose and prepare your body for action. At the same time, it inhibits, it stops insulin from doing its job. So now you've got this dysregulated blood sugar insulin is out of balance. It's not able to do its job. It's like a cascade, this, this hormonal cascade that if we don't start to change some of our lifestyle habits, such as our exercise and our nutrition, we're going to have a big problem with insulin resistance in our fifties. And we want to be insulin sensitive. That's the name of the game. So where weight training, resistance training, strength training, it can be bands where that comes in is you create, you build muscle. Then there's some place for the glucose, for the carbohydrates that we eat during the day to go, they can be utilized. So the muscle is like a sink. It's like a sponge getting that excess glucose, kind of mopping up the mess, so to speak. So it's really important from an insulin sensitivity perspective. And the reason insulin sensitivity is so important is because it is the hallmark of longevity, quality of life, and staying well, healthy, fit, strong. If we're insulin resistant, what we're going to find is we are now vulnerable to things such as Alzheimer's, type two diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and even some types of cancers as well. Mm-hmm. What about the, you know, kind of the other side of that coin is, is that nutrition, And, um, you know, sometimes I think as we age, it's harder to kind of pull out of some of those bad habits through years and years. Cause that's something that I've heard, you know, from many of my clients, you know, in their sixties and I've worked with 96 is my oldest. And I worked with many of my seniors for so many years. And they're like, this is the way I've done it for years. Now, not everyone. And then there are others who are like, I'm going to make those changes, you know, and I had, she was 92. She was lifting 10 pound dumbbells in class you know, and she's 30 years older than some of the people in the group. And there, you know, that was inspirational. And she was like, I'm going to make changes. I just started lifting weights at 84, you know, like all of those things, like it's never too late, but sometimes I think we get in our own heads in our own ways thinking it's too late. I can't make these changes. So what kind of advice do you have for someone who might be kind of spinning their wheels with that story? 
Oh, absolutely. It's it's never too late. But of course, the earlier we start, the better. But I think part of the problem is women get stuck in this cardio only, eat less, exercise mm-hmm. more, weights aren't a part of the equation. And then they're really either under eating, I see this quite a bit, that they're just not eating enough or eating the wrong types of foods. Another problem is eating too frequently. So if we're eating too frequently, we're snacking, grazing all day long, we are never giving our blood glucose, our blood sugar, a chance to regulate. It's it's continually high, and then we crash down the other side. So something we can do is go back to the three meals a day and space those out. Uh, Another thing that we can do is increase the protein. Most women are simply not consuming enough protein and protein will help to speed up your metabolism. It's thermogenic, meaning that we have to burn some calories to break protein down as opposed to carbohydrates or fats. So increasing that protein gradually, bringing it up to, I always recommend one gram per pound of ideal body weight, Mm. one gram per pound of ideal body weight. If you're eating just a fraction of that, go slow, increase slow, because protein will upset your stomach if you suddenly just go from 50 grams to 100 grams. So increasing the protein, increasing the uh, cruciferous and non-starchy veggies, really managing the carbs and fats. I think women are eating too many carbohydrates or the wrong type of carbohydrates. They're definitely not the enemy, but we need them in the right amount and the right type. And then spacing those meals apart, just give your body a digestive rest, a time where insulin can come in, shuttle that blood sugar, and then return levels to normal. Mm. And that's actually what Ayurveda recommends as well. The three meals a day, minimal snacking. They try to kind of avoid snacking if possible. And they kind of like a circadian fasting or intermittent fasting. Um, What are your kind of thoughts with menopausal women with intermittent fasting? It's actually an excellent way to go for menopausal women because they've already gone through that transition. You're kind of off the roller coaster. That's the good thing with menopause. Because <laughs> starting in your, I, I'm going to say for me in my mid 30s, all the way to 49 or so, it was like this roller coaster up, down, my moods, um, estrogen dominance was definitely a problem mm-hmm. where, where my body had too much estrogen. And so menopause, things kind of level out. That's that's the, the very good thing about menopause. And it's an excellent time to think of intermittent fasting. I, I generally say don't do the 24 hours. Very, It's okay to do once in a while, but I tell my ladies not to make a habit of that because as women, we cannot fast the same way as men. You know, my husband can go all day, eat one meal and be perfectly fine. That would just destroy me. I wouldn't be able to do that. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, they don't have the hormonal ups and downs and fluctuations. And, and with our bodies, we're so susceptible to stress and intermittent fasting is a form of stress. It's a good form of stress, like exercise, saunas, and this things like that. But like anything, if we overdo it, we overfast and we undereat. that's going to be an issue because then we are going to be releasing cortisol 
and we are going to be holding on to body fat. So I tell my ladies, 12 hours is a very good window to go from dinner to breakfast. Pretty much everyone can do that safely. I don't even really consider that fasting. And then from there, 14 to 16 is what I recommend. Uh, the problem lies with perimenopausal women. You definitely have to adjust that women, or excuse me, that window. It has to go in alignment with their cycle, their energy, their sleep. And a lot of times I will tell them back off from fasting when they're in perimenopause. If they're under a lot of stress, they're not sleeping well, and that energy is tanked. But in menopause, we, we have far less issues with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, those are all very much the Ayurvedic numbers and recommendations that, you know, we kind of suggest as well as starting at the 12 and the same thing, like from dinner to breakfast, which again, as you said, if people are like, oh, that sounds like a long time, but you're like, well, you're sleeping for the majority of it, you know, and <laughs> you are hopefully like, oh, that's not, yeah, hopefully I'm like, that's not too bad. And then if you wanted to push it, we say like kapha dosha, the 14 to 16 hours, you know, you might be able to where like the vatas 12 hours is kind of your max and pittas you're going to be between the 12 and 14. So we kind of have that same flow with it. And, you know, they recommend it. And this is something that I always say, play with, you know, during menstrual years, during perimenopause, but again, it might be that shortened window, that 12 hours, it's not going to be your full 16 hours or 24 hours, which probably is going to destroy some hormones over time. Oh, it definitely will. And, you know, it's all about having the right kind of stress and the right amount, because we do need some stress to be resilient. That's the whole idea with weight training. We do a little bit of damage to the muscle fibers. And then as we rest, they build back up, get stronger. And it's like this with many things, hot, cold therapy, and of course, the intermittent fasting, but there's a point where if we overdo it, and I do see a lot of women do this, they over-exercise, under-eat, over-fast, then we have a huge problem there. Yeah. And I think that's the the same mentality. Like we think more is better. And I think that's kind of what we grew up with, especially in like, you know, the late nineties, kind of that, the diet culture of like more cardio, you know, less food, as you were saying. And I think, especially probably women that you're working with in their sixties, that was the message of the time where you're kind of at the, at the age that I am in my late thirties and that you're very successful to be like, well, that's what worked for me. Maybe back then it's got to work for me now, even though it probably wasn't necessarily working. It was probably, you know, doing some things to your hormones that now maybe you're trying to sift out in your sixties. So how do you kind of deal with that? Maybe they have kind of, or you feel like I've ruined my hormones, you know, can we really like ruin our hormones? Can we come back from some of these things? What do you kind of see there? It's definitely about balance with hormones. And my favorite analogy is like an orchestra where all the instruments are working together. It's not these solos, everything's coming together with the conductor, you know, leading this very smoothly. Mm -hmm. And hormones are like that too. All, all hormones are beautiful. Sometimes women get the idea cortisol's bad because it's a stress hormone. No, we need it for survival. And people will think insulin's bad. No, it's a beautiful hormone. It needs to do its job. So you can definitely bring that balance back. So I think of it more like the hormones are out of balance. And the ones that I see that we can definitely make an impact on 
are insulin and the cortisol levels. Mm. Estrogen and progesterone, a little bit harder because it's natural for those to do this seesaw thing all the way through your 40s. Estrogen's high, progesterone's low, then it flips because you skip many times ovulatory cycles. So you're not even secreting progesterone at that point. And then in menopause, of course, they're all going to drop off estrogen, progesterone, and often testosterone just goes off a cliff as well. So obviously, uh, diet isn't going to necessarily restore those hormones. That's part of menopause. And so women have to then explore whether hormone replacement therapy is right for them and discuss that with their medical provider. But there's a lot we can do to balance hormones with nutrition, with lifestyle, stress management. Sleep is huge. As you know, it's, it's a biggie that is, it's overlooked. People think it's, you know, they're a warrior to get three hours of sleep a night or that they don't really need it as they get older. So there's just so many pieces like this that can improve the cortisol levels, which in turn help the blood glucose, which in turn balances the insulin levels and can really support your body and um, even support detoxification through the liver, because that's how we um, detoxify the estrogens and whatnot and the bad estrogen through, through our liver. And so there's so much we can do. So really this idea that all oh, my hormones, it can't be fixed. I mean, absolutely. We can improve on this. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this will actually tie perfectly with uh, the other episode that's going to be coming out in a couple of weeks as we dive into the liver and she's a Chinese uh, medicine specialist with acupuncture. And so we talk all about the liver. So it's perfect timing for that. Um, and even just bringing up the liver and how, you know, it does so much in Chinese medicine, that's kind of like the organ and the same with Ayurveda, we really, um, take care of the liver. And then you just mentioned it there with estrogen and, you know, it's taking out some of the hormones. That's why sometimes alcohol can be such a factor with people, you know, as they're getting older, they're like, Oh, I'm getting this, this excess belly fat, but maybe they're continuing to drink like they have for years. Can you touch a little bit on that? Cause I know that's something that I've heard from, you know, many of my clients in menopause of like, ah, oh, this belly fat won't go away. Oh, the belly fat is probably the number one thing that when women reach out to me, it's a number one complaint. It's like top, top of the list. And of course, <laughs> nobody likes it. You don't, you don't like if you can't zip up your pants or I know I'll, I'll stand in the mirror. And if I see a pooch, when I stand to the side, I, I don't like that. Or if I'm bloated, but there's health reasons here too. It's not just about aesthetics. So the subcutaneous body fat, that's, that's the body fat. That's not dangerous. It's the pinch an inch, uh, hang, you know, hanging over the yoga pants, but the visceral is the body fat that's, you know, surrounds the abdominal cavity surrounds the liver and can put a huge strain on the liver. And what happens when we lose estrogen is we are more likely to store body fat in the midsection. So it, when we're younger, it goes to our glutes. No, when we're older, it heads on over to the belly, right where we don't want it. And it can also cause the visceral body fat to form as opposed to the subcutaneous. So when we have that hormonal change, already we're vulnerable. So then here are the lifestyle habits that we really need to change. 
And of course, alcohol, the body is going to process that first because the body sees it as a toxin. So it's like, okay, we, we got to get rid of that. And so if it's working on the alcohol, it's not digesting and working on your, your food. And so the excess is stored as body fat. And then being in that window, that menopausal window, all that body fat heading to the midsection. And it can be very, very frustrating and a big pain point for women. Mm. Um, Is there anything that you recommend in that shift from like that perimenopause to menopause years that maybe you say, hey, can you do these things differently um, in nutrition or in fitness? Well, both make a huge difference. So obviously, I would say weight training, start to add in. If you if you haven't weight trained at all, or resistance train, I should say, it doesn't necessarily have to be weights. You want to consider maybe two days a week working with the trainer, working up to three, four days a week of strength training. And then you want the right type and the right amount of cardio. Cardio is definitely not the enemy and the right type is related to longevity. So right now I'm seeing, I'm seeing a shift in this and you probably noticed this too, where cardio was kind of the, the enemy for a while, like back off the cardio and just, just do the strength training. No, we do need both for longevity and health. It's a matter of not doing that endless long cardio sessions, like I would go out on these 20 mile runs that just take such a toll on your body and raise your cortisol. So you really want to dial that in to the right amount and type. And then of course, with nutrition, you know, we're back to the protein piece, which is so important. Women do not get enough of that. And we really need more and not less as we get older to help sustain that muscle mass and to support that, that good skeletal muscle mass. Mm. Yeah. The, um, you know, as, as people are kind of thinking about this, I'm trying to think of clients in particular in their, in their forties, and they're kind of making that switch from those long runs to, Hey, and I told him, I was like, walking is just fine. Cause it was hurting joints. It was starting to hurt joints and back, you know, and you know, at, obviously we're all aging. And so no matter where you're at, you're like, okay, when I'm thinking long-term in 10 years, how do I want my body to feel? And if this is aggravating it, I maybe need to switch things up. And sometimes it's kind of getting past again, that mindset I told her like, okay, let's just work on, let's just work on walking. You know, I'm like, that is, that is enough. Like, it doesn't have to be, I think sometimes, again, we think about it has to be a run. It has to be elliptical at X speed. Um, we have to have this amount of tension in our bike when really walking is a form of cardio. Mm-hmm. Walking is great. And that can be a good form of the zone two cardio, which is, it's a little bit, it's not your relaxed walk the dog. It's a step up from that where you can talk, but somebody would know you'd be a little bit breathless. They would know you were working. And so I'm a uh, really a fan of lots of walking. I do it on the daily and it's such a good way after a meal to really help regulate that blood glucose rather than just, you know, plonking down and, you know, being in front of our computer, just getting out for 20 minutes, 15 minutes and kind of, you know, use that excess blood glucose from a meal. So I'm a big fan of, of the walking. You studied Ayurveda. That is also something we recommended <laughs> Ayurveda. We're like hundred steps after we eat. That's like what their goal is, you know, get outside 10, 20 minutes. So that's so funny. I'm like a lot of what you're saying is, that is very funny. Ayurvedic in purpose. So I, I love this. <laughs> 
Well, I didn't I, realize, realize. Yeah. So you'll have to tell people you're like, this is a little Ayurveda. And then people might be like, oh, curious. What is this? Another way to kind of optimize the health and look at, look at things from a different lens, which all things, I mean, it's been around for 5,000 years. And so some of the things are just starting to trickle in to like mainstream mm-hmm. society, which I love. And, you know, just kind of seeing like, oh yeah, this, this system, it does work. And there are ways to put it in, right. put it into your programs. Um, I would right. love to know if someone's kind of listening and I'm kind of thinking of my mom in particular, who's in her late sixties and she was, mm-hmm. she did track in college and running was like the only way she stayed in shape. And then she has torn meniscus. And so no meniscus now left in either knee. And so she just kind of, I give her weightlifting program after weightlifting program that she doesn't do. So what would you say to like someone who might be kind of in that path of like, okay, this, this is what worked. I liked that. Like she loved to run, like that was her thing, but she's not able to do that anymore. And even walking sometimes a long distance hurts her knees, but we're, she's not quite over that hump of like, okay, I really need to strength train or she'll only lift 10 pound weights when my mom was, she was a discus thrower. So she's way stronger than 10 pound weights. Mm-hmm. How do you kind of get people to maybe even shift into like, okay, weightlifting is good. I can pick up these heavier weights. I am strong. I am capable of lifting those. And she doesn't have a it gym. Really... She's also small town. So this is also a good one for oh, anyone who's okay. small town. Like uh, there's no gym. I mean, she's out on a farm and it's, it's going to be her. It's going to be whatever she has at the house. Um, like she would have to drive 30 miles to get to a gym that I don't even know if they have trainers there, but access to equipment. So maybe people who are listening who might be in that boat too. Like what would be recommendations for people starting there? Well, a couple of different things. If they're really used to that kind of the high you get from cardio, the runner's high. And I recommend starting with circuit training because that can give you a little bit of that intensity. And so for a lot of my ladies that have been used to excessive amounts of cardio, they can't do it anymore, or we're trying to get them to cut back, I will give them some circuit training. So basically, let's say five, six exercises that they perform without stopping and then rest a few seconds and go again, all the way around the circuit, rest a few seconds, go again, that can kind of give that pump and a little bit of that feeling. And they really enjoy that. Now, as far as the the home workouts, I'm actually a big proponent of this for a lot of women, because it's convenient if they're short on time, if they're out in the middle of nowhere, and really all they need is a set of bands. If If they have a couple sets of dumbbells, that's great. But I was listening to some really interesting research on resistance bands, not only being extremely safe, but a great way to build muscle. I I was a little surprised because we think of resistance bands as, oh, that's for the beginner Mm -hmm. or they're rehabbing from an injury. But we're seeing now bodybuilders in the bodybuilding community, which, which has been my background, to actually take some time off from weight training and move over to the bands for a period of time. These are inexpensive. If you're traveling, you can throw them in your suitcase. I love bands. You can get the the shorter bands, the glute loops to work the lower body. They are fantastic. So very inexpensively, you know, order them on Amazon. Here they come and you've got your, your home gym, maybe a mat. If you, if you have a couple sets of dumbbells, you can get a good workout in. The other thing I tell them is, you know, really give me 30 minutes. If you've got 30 minutes, I can give you a great workout with this circuit training, your 
your bands, your glute loops. It's very doable. And, and I've seen some good results from this. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. And that's one that most of the, when I worked with my seniors, we used the bands and I got one for my grandpa who was in his nineties and he has since passed now at 97, but he used to keep the glute bands in his pockets <laughs> and he would pull it out. Cause he was, you know, he didn't really move. He wasn't too mobile at the end. And he would just do exercises. And he was like, Andrew, I don't remember oh. anything that you taught me, but I'm just moving my body and moving the bands apart. And I can feel my muscles working. And I'm like, that's perfect grandpa, you know, and just little things like that, where you're like, Oh, that's an easy thing to kind of have. And I always tell people that if, you know, they have, you know, people who, um, are in their eighties and nineties, but they might be more chair bound. I mean, just those little bands and just, it doesn't really matter. You're probably not going to yeah. hurt yourself based on, you know, what they're going to do with them. And, right. you know, they just get them out and just feel good. They're, they're very, very safe. And it, it just, again, kind of lowers that barrier of entry where we tend to think, and especially women, I think, we think we, we have to do all of the things and all of the things perfectly. And this really is a journey and, a, and about what, you know, about what works for you, finding what, what works for you. Yeah. Well, I would love to hear more about your, your book, Finding Purpose in the Pause. And, you know, who is it for and um, what's kind of, what's kind of it about? Absolutely. So Finding Purpose in the Pause, uh, Your Guide to Thriving in Menopause and Beyond is obviously about that transition to menopause. But with that being said, I cover quite a bit of perimenopause. So really women in their, their 30s on up would benefit from this book. And I've had men to read it because they want to understand what's happening with their significant other, their partner, their wife. And so I've actually had quite a few, quite a few men read it. And it really covers everything for women from nutrition, stress management, sleep, how to exercise. I even lay out some sample exercise routines, um, an extensive list of the right kind of foods to help support your hormone balance, like what we talked about. And there's a lot of my story in there, my personal story, and then also some of my clients in a case study form I go through and give those as well. well I love that. Well, definitely check that out. And it sounds like a great one for you know male trainers too, if they're working with people in perimenopause and menopause and want to know what's going on with the hormones. Oh, definitely. It's funny. I've had a few men because at the gym, they, they all know, okay, you wrote a book and some of the men didn't know what it was about. They'll come up to me at the gym and I'm going to read your book. I can't wait to read. And then I tell them what it's about in their faces. It's so, uh. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, see you later. <laughs> oh, be like, shoot, but I mean, I, it's educational, especially yeah. if you, if you're a trainer and you work with, you know, with females, I think that's, it's vital. I always say that too, with, you know, cause pre-postpartum has been one of my specialties for 16 years. And, um, mm -hmm. I always tell people finding someone who knows and understands the stage of life and, you know, encouraging, like I have one of my good, um, guy friends, who's a trainer, you know, I'm like his wife was pregnant. And so I'm like, okay, make sure, you know, here are some of the people I personally trust. And I've got educated from, if you're no, you know, work with her and he kind of trained her. And so that way you feel confident. And plus it's another skill that you can add to your toolbox. So when you have other clients, you know, who are going to be in that stage of life, you have, you have the right information, um, versus maybe getting it from social media or online where sometimes you just don't know, you don't know who the author is or their experience. And, um, it's nice to have someone who's like, okay, I've worked with this population. I've been through it myself. You know, here are some of the things that I've found. 
Oh, really? That's such a good point. Because I think, you know, both the young female trainers and male trainers need, need to understand because I watch at the gym a lot. And we, we get a lot of senior citizens in and they, they go to the trainers and sometimes they're doing things maybe that isn't the best thing for them. And so I, I think really understanding the different stages of of life, how that affects our bodies, how our bodies change. It doesn't mean we can't work out hard. I mean, I, I work out um, really hard quite frequently and, and push myself. We can still push ourselves. We can still have that intensity, but we have to be smart about it. And so having a trainer that understands that can be really valuable. Yeah. I mean, I have thinking of this story when I was on my seven years ago, I was going to have a trainer take over my clients when I was on maternity leave. And, um, I had her kind of do some trial sessions with clients and I had my group, I had three ladies who were, you know, from mid fifties to mid sixties at the time. And she brought them through a session and she had, was going to have them do some of these exercises. And they looked at her, like, you show us how to do this. Like she just kind of walked it through. I would have never had them there, you know, and they told me afterwards, they're like, she might need to like, understand what our bodies are capable of, you know, not that we're not up for challenging ourselves, but we're not trying to get hurt, you know? And it was this kind of crazy mm-hmm. jump on a BOSU and then balance on a stability ball thing where they're like, oh no, that's <laughs> not going to happen. Can you demo that? And even she kind of fumbled when she like demoed it. And so she decided not to do it for him. But I mean, it's just little things like that. And you don't know when you're a young trainer. And I know I'm sure I did stuff with you know, clients when I was in my young twenties that I'd probably cringe at now. I and mean, when we all do, it's all, you know, it's a learning curve. And so just being humble enough to be like, yeah, I need to educate myself in this area, I think is totally key. Oh, it is. I, I made the mistakes too, even becoming a trainer in my, my forties, because it was all about the gym I worked at. It was all about the intensity of these group fitness classes and boot camps and, oh, if you can make someone throw up. And okay. I'm horrified when I think back on it. <laughs> I, yes. I mean, one of my coworkers, that was his, his claim to fame was during boot camp, he would make someone throw up every time and she would come to my class. And I was, that's not how I trained. And I was like, I'm not, that's not a good workout. You're just depleting yourself if you're throwing up and trying to explain this to her. And so she ended up hating my class and just kept going back to his. And I'm like, this is, that's not great long-term health here benefits. And, you know, we all get kind of stuck in that. And I feel like that was kind of an era of fitness, probably about it 10, was. 10 years ago. That was kind of the mm-hmm. let's go until we throw up harder is better. More, more, more boot camp. do it every single day, no recovery. So I feel like we have shifted a little bit as a fitness industry away from some of that. Um, but I think it's easy to get all prey to because you're, you know, trainers are doing it because that's what everyone was doing at the time. So, and that's what the clients expected. And we kind of went in that way and biggest loser, I suppose, didn't probably help that either. Cause I had someone who wanted me to yell at her like Jillian Michaels and that's, I'm not, I'm not a yeller period. Uh, and I've coached basketball and I'm not a yeller. And so I was like, I, I am not, that's not me. So my, um, supervisor ended up taking her and screamed at her. He was a yeller. She never came back to the gym after that. And so I think sometimes we think like that is going to get us there, but really in practicality, that's, that's not fun. Oh, you're absolutely right. And, and it was part of that error because I remember being in my forties and every time I went to a class that was 
that was how it was taught. It was like, let's just go as hard as we can go until you just collapse and somebody can mop up the floor with you. And that was kind of how I learned to do a, a group fitness class. And it was more about entertainment mm. than what mm. was actually going to work for somebody. It was, it was entertaining them. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. Um, I just want to do one kind of final question about kind of tapping into this a little bit about recovery. Um, since we kind of talked about going hard, um, why do you maybe want to have those rest days and not kind of, uh, feel that muscle soreness? Cause I think sometimes we're still in that mindset, or at least I still have some clients who are like, if I'm sore, it was a really good workout. If I'm not sore, it must not have been as good of a workout. So can you just, you know, tackle that mindset a little bit? Oh, yes, absolutely. Rest is very important, having rest days. And I look at rest days a little bit differently. I look at them, at them as active recovery days. So that's maybe a day that you you do some yoga or you go to a Pilates class or some stretching. You maybe do some foam rolling, take a nice walk out in nature. Just really don't think about, okay, bring my heart rate up or anything like that. Just, just an active movement day because boy, I tell you in my age range, we have to stay moving because Mm -hmm. if we don't get that daily movement, it's really a factor in weight gain. Movement Mm -hmm. is so, so important. And movement isn't about always this formal exercise session. It can be that nice walk in nature, that, that slower hike, that recovery yoga, but just having a chance for your muscles to repair. So when you do the damage to the fibers, you go into the gym or from home and you do some damage as you, and when I say damage, I don't mean that in a bad way. That's how the muscle grows and gets stronger, but you can't just keep breaking it down. You've got to have that time of rest and recovery. Sleep is a big part of this. That's when we are building and repairing muscle. And it's also when um, human growth hormone can be at its highest as we rest at night. So we want those rest days. And then another reason for the rest days from both the cardio or high intensity cardio or strength training is the cortisol levels. It, It was like me being the runner. And I look back at pictures and I looked old and I looked puffy. I I didn't have the weight issue, but I looked soft and I looked watery and puffy. And that was that cortisol from never taking a break. I would Mm. run every single day. I did something every single day. So it's important to give your body a chance to repair, to rest, have those cortisol levels go down. Mm. Perfect. All right. I just have one final question. Um, I would love for you to kind of throw out a weekly challenge to all the listeners this week. Oh, yes, I would love to. So for a challenge, I I would love for the listeners to consider adding strength training, resistance training in some way to their weekly routine. And again, this can be the bands, this can be the glute loops or the booty bands. And if you're new to this, really, really think about finding someone who can help you through this journey, who can guide you through this journey. I know it made a big difference. I worked with a trainer. That was how I learned to resistance train. And that can make a big, big difference. But I would say consider adding that because it is such a part 
of our longevity. It is, if, if you do that, even now nutrition is important. We do need to change the nutrition, but you even just add the exercise in, it can make such a difference to lifespan and health span. Mm, I love that. I love that. Well, thank you, Carol, for coming on and sharing all of this wisdom with us. Um, I know I learned a lot and uh, just love chatting with you. So thank you. Thank you so much, Andrea. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yes. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power.